Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 10, uh, Matthew chapter 10, and reading again at verse 16, where Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I wonder if any of you ever had the experience of starting a new job and within a few hours or maybe a few days or possibly a few weeks or maybe even a few months you, you found yourself thinking this wasn't what I signed up for. Nobody told me it would be like this. Jesus is very honest when recruiting people for his mission, when recruiting people for his kingdom work. There is no small print with Jesus. He is open, he is upfront about telling his followers about what they should expect, the, the blessings, but also the buffetings, the bruisings. And so today we're continuing our studies in Matthew chapters 8 to 10, and we're focusing on the advice and then the admonition that Jesus gives as he prepares his followers for going out on mission. First we have the advice. Look at verse 16. Here Jesus counsels his followers about what they, should, they will need as they go out on mission for him. Jesus counsels his followers about what they will need as they go out on mission for him. Now as we come to these verses, let's consider the context. Jesus has called his 12 disciples to himself. Verses 1 to 4. This was his inner circle, those who had committed themselves to him, and he had given them authority over unclean spirits, over disease, and over affliction. And he'd gone on to command them to go out on mission. Verses 5 to 15. He had told them where they were to go. They weren't to go to the towns of the Samaritans or among the Gentiles, the non Jews. Instead, they were to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he told them what they were to do. They were to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven, the saving reign of God, was at hand. And as they proclaimed that message, they were to cure the sick, they were to cast out demons, they were to cleanse the lepers, they were to raise the dead, signaling that this kingdom of heaven had come. And he told them what they were to expect. Their message would be received by some, but it would also be rejected by others. And now Jesus proceeds to give them a word of counsel, a word of advice in verse 16. He begins by giving them a picture at the beginning of verse 16. He tells them that he is sending them. As they go out on mission, they are going out as those whom Jesus has commissioned, those whom Jesus has sent. They're not going out on their own. They're going out with the message of Jesus, going out with the blessing of Jesus, going out with the power of Jesus. They're going out as those whom Jesus has sovereignly sent, and he tells them that he is sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He's sending them out as sheep, harmless creatures. And he's sending them out as sheep among wolves, hostile creatures. And he's not just sending them out in the direction of the wolves. Look at what he says. He says, I am sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves, into the very center of danger. He is putting them into a deadly environment. Having given them the picture, 
Jesus commands his followers to be prepared. Look again at verse 16. They're going into this hostile and dangerous environment. And so Jesus tells them to be as wise as serpents. In Jesus' day, serpents were viewed as being wary and wise, cunning and clever, sensible and shrewd. And so Jesus is telling his followers here that as they go out into this hostile and dangerous environment, they are to be like serpents. They are to use their brains. He also tells them, though, to be as innocent as doves. In Jesus' day, doves were viewed as being gentle and graceful, placid and peaceful, unblemished, unimpeachable creatures, uncorrupted by anything. And so Jesus is telling his followers that as they go out into this hostile and dangerous environment, they are to be as wise as serpents, they are to use their brains, but they're not to have the venom. They're not to have the venom of these serpents. They're to be as gentle and innocent as doves. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being reminded about the environment that we are going into as we go on mission for Jesus. That is what we're seeing in Matthew 10. Jesus is sending out these 12 disciples to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven, the saving reign of God, has come. And he's sending them out as sheep into the midst of wolves. He is sending them out, he says, into a hostile and dangerous environment. And we need to remember, friends, that this is the environment that we are going into as we go out on mission for Jesus. Two weeks ago I said that we haven't been called to raise the dead. We haven't been called to cleanse the lepers. We haven't been called to cure the sick. We haven't been called to cast out demons. But, friends, we have been called to proclaim the kingdom. We have been called to declare the good news of God's saving reign that has come with Christ. And the environment that Jesus calls us to go into isn't a perpetually pleasant and peaceful place. It is a hostile and dangerous environment where we will be like sheep in the midst of wolves. In 2008, Al Mohler addressed the students at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and he spoke to them on the theme of the year of living dangerously. And this is what he said. We are surrounded by a host of enemies. It is no physical army that is encamped against us. It is rather far more significant than that. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. How much more dangerous can it get than that? The gospel has enemies. God has enemies. And friends, you know this yourselves. Nothing has changed in these 14 years. The world is still a hostile and dangerous place for followers of Jesus. The world is still a hostile and dangerous place for people who are intent on being on mission for Jesus. The world is still a hostile and dangerous place for people who are serious about proclaiming the kingdom of Jesus. But as we consider these verses, we're not just being reminded about the environment that we are going into, we are also being reminded about the equipment that we are going to require as we go into this hostile and dangerous place. That is what we see in Matthew 10. Verses 1 to 4, Jesus gave the 12 authority over unclean spirits and every disease and affliction. And now he says that he is sending them out 
with his message, with his power, with his blessing. But he also tells them that as they go out on mission, they're going to need to be as wise as serpents and as innocent, as gentle as doves. And we need to remember, friends, that that is the equipment that we are going to require as we go out into this hostile and dangerous environment. In his reflections on this verse, J.C. Ryle writes, The extreme into which most men are liable to fall in the present day is that of silence, cowardice, letting others alone. Our so-called prudence is apt to degenerate into a compromising line of conduct or downright unfaithfulness. We excuse ourselves from efforts to benefit their souls by saying that it would be indiscreet, inexpedient, or would give needless offence, or would even do positive harm. Ryle goes on to write, on the other hand, it is impossible to deny that there is such a thing as a righteous and holy zeal which is not according to knowledge. It is quite possible to create much needless offence, commit great blunders, stir up much opposition which might have been avoided by a little prudence, wise management, and exercise of judgment. I don't know about you, friends, but these are the two extremes that I've often fallen into when seeking to be on mission for Jesus. There have been those occasions when I've been happily doing my shopping in the co-op or in Tesco and then you get to the checkout and the person at the checkout says, what are you doing at the weekend? And, and I've got flustered and I've muttered something like that, nothing much really, just, just a quiet one. And you're laughing because you've done the same. Haven't you? But the other extreme is that there have been those occasions when in my zeal to share the gospel, I've gone and trampled on people's feelings, their sensitivities, without even thinking. I've just been so passionate about getting the gospel across to them that I've just trampled down on anything that they hold as being precious and dear. And so, friends, there is this great need for serpent-like wisdom and dove-like innocence as we go out on mission for Jesus. That is the equipment that we require as we find ourselves like sheep in the midst of wolves. We need to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. What a balance. What a tightrope. How much grace we need. But we move from the advice to the admonition. Look at verses 17 down to 23. And Jesus now warns his followers about what they ought to expect as they go out on mission for him. Jesus tells his followers what they ought to expect as they go out on mission for him. Jesus warns his followers about the prospect of persecution. Look at verses 17 to 20. He starts by speaking about persecution, verses 17 and 18. And he speaks about religious persecution. He says to them, beware of men. And they're to beware of men who will be quick and eager to deliver them to the courts and flog them in the synagogues. Now we need to remember that the synagogue in Jesus' day was more than a place of worship. The synagogue was a place where justice could be administered, where people could be flogged for moral uh, misconduct, religious misconduct. And so here's Jesus and he's telling his followers that this is what they're to expect they're to expect opposition and persecution from the religious establishment. He also speaks, though, not just about religious opposition or persecution, but also civil persecution. 
His followers face the prospect, he says, of being dragged before governors and kings. Men like Pontius Pilate. Men like Herod Antipas. And they'll be dragged before these powerful and influential men for Jesus' sake. On account of their commitment to Jesus. On account of their allegiance to Jesus. And once they're dragged before such governors and kings, they'll be expected to bear witness before them and the Gentiles about Jesus. Having spoken about the prospect of persecution, Jesus gives a promise. Look at verses 19 and 20. He tells them not to be anxious, not to be worried, not to be troubled once they've been delivered into the religious or civil courts. They're not to be anxious about how they're to speak, and they're not to be anxious about what they're to say. And they're not to be anxious about how they're to speak or what they're to say because, he says, they will be given words. They'll be given words to say in that very hour, in that very moment, when they find themselves being brought before high-ranking, influential men. And they will find that it's not them speaking. They will find that it's the Spirit of their Heavenly Father speaking through them, Jesus is clear in telling his followers that they are not going to be left to their own devices when they are facing persecution. There is the promise of the Father coming to them, giving them the words to speak by the Spirit. But Jesus goes on to give his followers another warning about the prospect of persecution in verses 21 to 23. Once again, he starts by speaking about persecution. Verses 21 and 22. He tells his followers that they're going to be hounded by their families. Brother will betray brother over to death. And fathers will do the same with their children. Meanwhile, children are going to betray their parents over to death. There there is going to be breakdown, there is going to be betrayal in the very places where people look for loyalty and love. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Jesus tells his followers... That they will be hated by all for his name's sake. Now this doesn't mean they'll be hated by every single individual. Otherwise there'd be no point in them proclaiming the gospel. There'd be no point in them preaching the message of the kingdom. Instead it means that there is going to be widespread hatred. Widespread opposition. So that it seems that the whole world is against them. But once again. After speaking about the prospect of persecution. Jesus gives his followers another promise. Look at verses 22 and 23. He tells them that the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now this word, the end, is open-ended. It can mean the end of the persecution. Or it can mean the end of life. Or it can even mean the end of time. The key point that Jesus is making is that the one who endures, the one who perseveres, the one who remains committed to him to the very end, will be saved. And he goes on to tell them that he will come. When they find themselves being persecuted in one town, he says they're to flee to the next. In his commentary, Leon Morris writes, when a person finds himself in a hostile place, it is not his function to continue to offer himself up for maltreatment and death. Needlessly to court martyrdom is not the Christian way. And Jesus assures his followers 
that they will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before he, the Son of Man, comes. I spent four years under the ministry of Alistair I. MacLeod, who I hope I don't offend anyone here today, but I think he is the wisest and the most humble and the most gifted preacher the free church has ever produced. And he used to say in his sermons on occasion that there are certain verses of Scripture that have no definitive interpretation, no clear interpretation. Sometimes we just have to say we're not sure. And this is one of these verses. As some suggest that Jesus is saying that the disciples will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before he comes to them following his death and resurrection. Others suggest that Jesus is saying that his disciples will not have gone through all the villages and towns of Israel before he comes in judgment in 70 AD when Jerusalem and its temple fall to Rome. And still others suggest that he is saying that the disciples will not have gone through all the towns and villages of Israel before he comes again at the end of time. My personal view is that Jesus is saying that the disciples will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before he comes to them following his death and resurrection. That's my own view. But the key point that Jesus is making is that his disciples will not be forgotten by him. His disciples will not be forsaken by him. They might face opposition. They might face persecution. But Jesus, the Son of Man, will come to them. Now friends, as we consider these verses, we have been reminded that persecution is to be expected. Persecution is to be expected. That is what we see in Matthew 10. Jesus tells his followers that they will face religious opposition, civil opposition. He tells them that they will be hated by family, hounded by all for his name's sake. Opposition and persecution is to be expected. It's guaranteed. And friends, that is something that you and I need to remember. Persecution, opposition, because of our commitment to Jesus, is a certainty. It is something that Jesus tells us to expect. And it's not just something Jesus tells us to expect. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The New Testament is very clear, friends. Red carpets, rounds of applause aren't to be expected in the Christian life. It's more likely that we will face religious opposition, civil opposition because of our commitment to him our proclamation of him. It is more likely, friends, that we will be hounded and hated for Jesus' sake. If you are expecting to be applauded, clapped as a Christian, that ain't biblical Christianity. Persecution is to be expected. And I want to say that to the young people here today. Those of you who are maybe in uni or going off to uni, You're not choosing a popular path when you're following Jesus. But as we consider these verses, we're also being reminded that perseverance is essential. Perseverance is essential. Again, that's what we see in Matthew 10. Jesus speaks about salvation. He speaks about eternal blessing. And he says here 
that the one who endures, the one who perseveres, the one who remains resolute in their commitment to him, even in the face of opposition and persecution, that person will be saved. And friends, that is something that we need to remember again. The history of the church is littered with stories about people who began well. People who came to Jesus full of enthusiasm. People who came to Jesus full of energy. People who came to Jesus full of dedication. People who came to Jesus full of devotion. But Jesus isn't concerned so much about people who began well. Jesus is concerned about people who finish well. People who continue to the end. People who remain resolute to the end. That is what Jesus is concerned about. We hear stories all the time about people who became a member of a church and and they went well for a season and then they drifted away and we say to ourselves, well, it's okay because they became a member of the church 20 years ago, 40 years ago. No, friends, Jesus isn't concerned about past commitments, but about present commitment, ongoing commitment. So this morning, let's ask ourselves the question, am I persevering in my Christian walk? Am I progressing toward God's promised salvation? Or am I slowly but steadily regressing from it? Please, friends, ask yourself that question. Am I progressing as a follower of Jesus? Am I persevering in my walk with Jesus? Am I going on with Jesus? Or am I drifting from him? Perseverance is essential. Finally, as we consider these verses, we're being reminded about the promise that we are to embrace. The promise that we're to embrace. That is what we see in Matthew 10. Jesus tells his disciples that the Spirit of their Heavenly Father will speak through them. He goes on and tells them that he, the Son of Man, will come to them before they've gone through all the towns of Israel. In other words, they're not going to be abandoned by the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even if their circumstances suggest otherwise. And that is something we really need to remember. You know, sometimes the hounding and hatred of the world, sometimes the opposition and the persecution that we experience for Jesus' sake can leave us feeling that God has forgotten us, that God has forsaken us. We feel that we've been left alone. We feel that God's turned his face away from us. We feel that he has washed his hands off us. And you know, friends, when you feel that God has forsaken you, when you feel that God has forgotten you, when you feel that God has washed his hands off you, it's very hard to muster any enthusiasm about being on mission for Jesus. But the God of the Bible promises his people, I will never leave you. I will never forget you. I will never forsake you. Whoever you're facing, whatever you're experiencing. So today, friends, let's hold on to that promise. As we leave this building... And as we seek to go out on mission for Jesus, I can't say this enough. You and I, friends, have been called to make Jesus known. We have been called to proclaim the message. We have been called to herald 
the saving reign of God. So let's do so remembering the promise of a God who will never wash his hands of his people, will never forget or forsake his people.